Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I've worked at six newspapers in my career. One of them, Fresno, the Fresno Bee in Fresno, California. I covered Fresno State football from as a columnist in, uh, from about 1998 into about 2001 or so in one of the players who played at Fresno State in that time was a uh, defensive back named Cameron Worrell. And, you know, Fresno State was good. Pat Hillett, coach, David Carr at quarterback, Bernard Berrien catching passes, Rodney Wright. They were good. They were dangerous. Andy Ludwig, now at Utah as the offensive coordinator, was the offensive coordinator at Fresno State. Uh, it's weird for me 20-something years later to have one of those kids that I watched play and I cover come on the show. But Cam Worrell has been to the NFL and back. He's lived a life. He's doing good things. And he joins us now. How are you, man? John, man, it's great to talk to you. It's been so long. Appreciate you bringing me on, man. I'm pumped. I was doing a little bit of research, man. I found a picture of you in a Bears uniform. It looks like you're sacking Brett Favre. You've done some things. <laughs> Yeah, at the time, it was a New Year's Eve game, and we thought that was going to be the last sack of Brett Favre's career, and he went on to play like six more years. <laughs> so it was, it was a fun fun, fun play, but uh, yeah, man, I had, I had a good time. Those, those Fresno State years were a blast, and then, you know, six years in the NFL and playing the Super Bowl for a kid from Chowchilla, California, that's, uh, it's been a fun ride for sure. Give us an idea. I was trying to explain to people earlier sort of the chip-on-the-shoulder feeling that some of the kids that play or suit up at Fresno State have geographically. It's not the Pac-12, but, you know, I, I watched those kids and you and your teammates under Pat Hill anywhere, anytime uh, suit up. You played Ohio State. You played Wisconsin. You beat them. You beat Colorado. Um, what, can you help us with the mentality of a Fresno State kid? Yeah, I think – I think, you know, a majority of the players who come to Fresno State and have success, they, you know, they have the same mentality as people from the Central Valley. You know, if you, if you want to have success in the Central Valley, you have to bust your butt. Like, there's no, you know, it's not easy. There's no tech world. You can't show up in a suit and tie most of the time. Like, you get your hands dirty. You work hard. It's hot. Nobody really wants to be here because it's so hot. The air is bad. I mean, all of those things. When you come here to play for Fresno State, there's not a lot of bells and whistles. That You don't have all the new facilities and different uniform combinations. You come here because you're going to get pushed. You're going to get coached hard. And if you buy into that and you approach it with that mentality, you're going to have success. You're going to turn into a good football player. Most of the time, you're going to have good teams to play on. Sometimes they're special. Sometimes they're okay. But, you know, more times than not, this is a program that is going to have success. They're going to go to a bowl game. And I really feel like everybody grows up dreaming of playing at USC and UCLA. And when you don't get those opportunities and you have to come to a place like Fresno State, I think you just inherently have that chip on your shoulder. I have something to prove because – 
the places I wanted to go, didn't believe that I could get it done. And I feel like this football team kind of takes on the mentality for this entire region. We're talking to Cameron Worrell, former NFL player, Fresno State star back in the day. You guys um, in that era under Pat Hill really did play anybody, anywhere, anytime. What did that feel like? What was that like for you? It was awesome. I mean, the, some of the experiences I had in college, I can remember that Washington, or that Wisconsin game in 2001. We're down at halftime, maybe 17-7. Bernard takes the, and the, you know, by far the most raucous crowd I've, I had ever witnessed in person, uh, Camp Randall Stadium. Just so loud the entire first half. We could barely talk to each other on the sideline. We come out of the second half, Bernard takes the opening kickoff back. We get a pick on third down. Dave throws a touchdown. You know, we go from down, you know, 10 to up four. And just really, we boat raced Wisconsin after that. And that we could talk like this on the sideline. I mean, we could have a normal conversation where in the first half, you could not hear us thing. So just kind of the dichotomy of, of, uh, you know, the the crowd in the first half compared to the second half was insane. And then we went back the next year, my senior year, 2002, the first night game in Camp Randall Stadium. We lost on a field goal, uh, but they did, you know, they do jump around at the beginning of the fourth quarter uh, at Camp Randall. And it was crazy that night. But the year before, there was no jump around because that stadium was shocked. So getting to play in places like that and the horseshoe, it's, I mean, those are those are lifelong memories that 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 we still talk about to this day. Going there and and winning some big time games, so it was it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. You you and I messaged a little bit prior to this last weekend, and you had you know sort of given some insight about Boise State and their quarterback, and you were on the money. Oregon State made them look uh, erratic and unprepared on on offense. Quarterback got subbed out during the game. Tell us what's going on with Boise State because you get a look at them in the Mountain West. Yeah, usually every year too. You know, Mountain West has kind of changed their schedule up, so it's some, sometimes we don't see them. But I just I saw the Chris Peterson teams. You know, I, I, I played the Dan Hawkins teams and watched Chris Peterson turn that into a top five program perennially. I mean. Some of those years, they could hang with anybody. First-round draft picks, Kellen Moore sliced everybody up that he played. I mean, they were extremely talented, but they were so well-coached. Every single detail was covered. They made you think on defense pre-snap. They made you think on defense post-snap. I mean, they were really complex in everything that they did. And I've witnessed over the last probably decade, I'm not sure when Chris Peterson left, but uh, there's been a steady decline. They're just not the same Boise State program. They don't have the same talent. You know, there's still really good talent for the Mountain West, but not the same talent. Uh, they don't execute to the same level. Uh, you know, I think the small details that used to be afterthoughts because they were so, you know, the repetitions that they went through were so great. They understood everything. I just don't see the same level of execution, and that's exactly what, any Oregon State fan that watched that game on Saturday night, they're like, this is supposed to be a good Boise State team because they do not look like it at all. They look disorganized, dysfunctional, you know, not really understanding what they're being asked to do, making mental errors. That, that didn't happen during Chris Peterson's time. They did not make mental errors. They exploited mental errors 
from their opponent every single week, and I just don't see that. They're still a good program, you know, still one of the better programs in the Mountain West, but I've watched that, you know, level of execution drop from those Peterson days to now, and, and I think everybody saw that Saturday night. We're talking to Cam Worrell, six-year NFL veteran, former Fresno State star. Give us an idea. Oregon State's defense, Fresno State's receivers in particular. Uh, how do you see that matching up? Yeah, yeah, I think Fresno State probably has one of the better units on the West Coast. Outside, I mean, SC's totally different, right? But I think they have two legitimate NFL receivers. I think a third, Josh Kelly, who is right in that conversation as well. So very explosive, very quick. Nico Remigio, who you guys have seen, was that Cal transfer and had a very uh, explosive opening. It was against Cal Poly, but did some very exciting things. You know, they're, they're a matchup problem. There really are three guys that you have to account for. If you don't account for them, Jay Kaner is going to find the mismatch and get the ball to an open receiver. So very difficult to take care of all three of those receivers. And then you have Trey Watson, Jordan Mims, who can catch it out of the backfield. And, and you know, 225, he's an NFL back as well. Um, they're, they're very uh, multiple, and they can beat you in a lot of different ways. Uh, what I was really impressed Saturday night watching Oregon State was just how physical their front seven played. I mean, Boise is usually a team that, can establish a run game. They want to establish a run game. They want to be physical at the point of attack. Oregon State just slapped them around. And the one, I think, big kind of a question mark around this Fresno State team, especially the offense, is how is this offensive line going to protect Jay Kaner and can they establish a consistent run game? If they can, then – Jay Kaner stays clean, and they're going to rip a lot of people apart. If they don't, and Jay Kaner gets hit, I mean, he's a he, just like everybody. He he's a different quarterback when he's getting banged up back in the pocket, as opposed to just sitting back there clean. So, you know, skill guys, they're they're about as good as anybody on the West Coast. But um, you know, you you can kind of get in the backfield and, and disrupt Jay Kaner a little bit, and that affects their entire offer, offensive uh, operation. There was Tedford's first era, which was fantastic. Then Kalen DeBoer came in. He did a really nice job. Now Tedford's back again. Does Is the energy around the program there, Cam? Is, is you know, when Tedford came back in, did the fan base really react to that? Yeah, everybody loves Jeff. I mean, played quarterback here, was an assistant for a long time, left, uh, you know, went up to Oregon and, and was the OC there and then got the Cal job and, you know, had Cal – top five in the country. I mean, did a phenomenal job there. And when he came back in 2017, everybody was excited. Everybody knows the caliber of coach he is, just loves Jeff Tedford because he's a bulldog. You know, they watched him play. And when he had to step away, it was was very sad, but he did what was best for him, you know, in the moment from a health perspective. And and he got better and he was able to come back. So I, I don't think I've seen this much excitement around this program since Derek Carr, was a senior, and Devontae Adams was here, and they were the defending Mount West champions. I, you know, went eleven and zero before San Jose State knocked them off. That's the type of excitement that you know Fresno has. Thirty six thousand people in the stands on a Thursday night. It was one hundred two at kickoff. 
against Cal Poly, and there were really 36,000 fans in the seats. Back when you were in Fresno, that was kind of commonplace. You know, people would show up and sell Bulldog Stadium out. It has not been that way, you know, over the last 10 years or so. Fully expect Saturday night to be a sellout. I think people will be in the seats ready for this game. They're they're very, very excited about the returning players, you know, coming back from the 10-3 program and then having Jeff Tedford come back and put his stamp back on this program. Everybody's very excited. It was really it, it was really interesting to be there as a media member and watch you guys play. And you guys had tremendous talent. A bunch of you guys played in the NFL, but it was also interesting to see kind of the way you played there was there was an attitude that you had and I know Oregon State went in there in 20 uh, 2003 and you know Derek Anderson threw five interceptions and and you know had a terrible game against uh, Fresno State and I think it was interesting to see kind of Fresno State seize on that is there a chance here Cam that Fresno State looks past Oregon State and looks at the game looming with USC or are they focused on Oregon State yeah, I mean, I think there's always kind of a possibility of that, right? I mean, SC's getting all the hype, and Lincoln Riley's down there, and they lit rights up. But it, it's a it's a great benefit that this Fresno State program has Jeff Tedford, you know, at the helm because he really won't allow that to happen. And if if this team, if anybody on this team watched that game Saturday night, which I know a lot of them did, they will not overlook this Oregon State football team. This this program knows. You know, the standard that Boise State plays, and Oregon State mopped the floor with Boise State Saturday night. I know uh, Taylor Green came in and made some things happen with his legs, but they were lost. They were completely outmatched in that game. So it would really shock me if anybody in this program was overlooking Oregon State. It's very rare, John, that a Pac 12 school is willing to come to Bulldog Stadium and play Fresno State at home. They just don't get this opportunity very often. So, you know, they, they know what's at stake in this game. And, and as I said, if anybody overlooks this opponent, I would be extremely shocked at that. Camberwell, defensive back, NFL, uh, six years in the NFL with the Bears, Dolphins, Fresno State star back in the day is with us. Cam, uh, you got to see you got to see Randy Moss quite a bit during your era. I was looking back, kind of when you played, where you were. What was that like as a defensive back? Uh, it was uh, extremely humbling. It, it was extremely humbling. I mean, you know, in Chicago, we did so many things to take Randy Moss out of the football game, and for the most part, we did. Uh, because we usually sent two guys at him. But, you know, when I was in Miami, uh, it was a year they were undefeated, and they were just a juggernaut. And, and, you know, Randy Moss mocked me a couple times. And one time, Tom Brady threw a ball up, and I was like, there's no way he's throwing this ball up. And he threw it up, and sure enough, I was like, this is my first interception. This is about as easy as it gets. And then somebody hits me in the back of the head, and it's Randy Moss jumping over the top of me, catching a touchdown. He was just... (laughs) If he needed to run faster, he would run faster. I mean, every, he could do everything. People don't understand. He was like 225, 230 pounds. He was a huge person. So you try to hit him, like, he's not small. He, he was just as good as I ever saw. It, as tough of a matchup that we ever game planned for, I mean, he was just totally different. 
he would run down the field and not really put his hands up and then reach out and snag a ball. It didn't give you any idea that the ball was coming. He was just a first ballot Hall of Famer, a no-brainer, one of the best ever to do it at his position. And, you know, there are, there are plays that I did every single thing right possible. I knew exactly where the ball was going to go. I knew I timed everything correctly, and I still lost the rep because Randy Moss was just that much better. And sometimes you just tip the cap and move on because there's nothing else you can really do. Randy Moss was, was that type of talent. Yeah, it, and I don't, I don't think people understand when you get to that level and you play as long as you did in the league, like – you're going to encounter freaky athletes that are, you know, it's just, it, it's, you know, I, I, I said before, like, I, I remember when I first started covering the NFL, walking into the locker room and seeing the defensive tackles and just not realizing how tall they were and how long they were. And, you know, it, it, they couldn't walk down the hallway. Like, everybody else had to get out of the hallway. Like, you know, when you got to the NFL, like, because you, you stuck and you played. When you looked around, the athleticism must have just been mind-blowing. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was a decent athlete, and I was not a great athlete by any means, but I was good enough to play safety. I played a lot of special teams in the NFL. You know, I was a backup of the majority of my career, but I had, you know, I had enough to get it done. Uh, and, and But I had to work really, really hard at all of the very small details. You know, I had to understand everything. I had to do so much film study to give myself an advantage because guys were just fast and quick and physical. I mean, with Damian Tomlinson, luckily I only had to play him one time. Just 225 could make you miss because he was so quick, but could just put his head down and run you over too. Like those guys, you just, you have to kind of take a shot and hope for the best and, and hope you don't miss too many tackles or get ran over too many times in a day. There were guys that you, and everybody knows them, Jerome Bettis. We played him in 05. He had to be like 270, but he could still make you miss because he was so quick, even though he was 270. You know, I watched Brian Erlacher in practice every single day. 6'4", 260, didn't look like it at all, could run with anybody. He used to run with Randy Moss down the middle of the field in our Tampa 2 coverage. I mean, sideline to sideline. When he got there, he laid the hammer on people. These are guys that you just marvel at. Watching, I mean, I was a six-year NFL veteran, and I wasn't in the same league as Brian Urlacher or Randy Moss. You know, there were guys that were just head and shoulders better than everybody else. And, I, I mean, I'm really lucky and blessed that I got to have those opportunities, that I understand, you know, how good people who make big-time plays in the NFL really are. Because a lot of people, they, they, they really just don't understand what it takes to to be a top-level performer in that league. Our guest, Cameron Worrell, former Fresno State star, played six years in the NFL. All right, before I uh, cut you loose here, give me what you think happens. What kind of game are we looking at on Saturday in Fresno for Oregon State? I think it's a fist fight. I mean, you know, you talked about our Pat Hill teams back in the early 2000s. This Jonathan Smith, Oregon State team, they play that way. They play with the chip. They want to bring the fight to you from the opening kickoff all the way through the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be a fist fight, you know. who, Whoever, if there are turnovers, obviously that's kind of the, you know, the great equalizer or can be the biggest difference. So if one team turns it over, I don't think they can win the game. I really don't. If you turn it over twice and – and uh, your opponent doesn't, I don't think you can win this football game. Um, I think it's going to be a very competitive game. 
I'm very nervous about that front seven for Oregon State and how they may affect uh, this Fresno State offensive line. If they dictate the, the, the front for Fresno, I think it's a long night. Fresno State has a lot of horses, but I don't think they have the horses to get it done if Oregon State can win the line of scrimmage consistently. If not, if Fresno State can run the ball, if they can get Jay Kaner out a little bit, then I think they have the athletes to, to score enough points to win. But I don't think this is going to be a – Neither side is going to run away. I think it's going to be a four-quarter game, and really I think a handful of plays is is going to be the difference. Somebody's going to make a couple more plays than the opponent, and someone's going to be disappointed at the end of the night. But I tell you this, John, I'm, I am so excited to see a Pac-12 team, the caliber of Oregon State coming to Fresno Saturday night because it's just it's a fun night for college football in Fresno and a really good test for what I think is a really good Fresno State football team. Cam, I really enjoy uh, hearing from you, knowing that you're doing well and that you're out there kicking butt still. And thanks for uh, thanks for coming on with us. And if you see me at the stadium, grab me and say hello, because all I remember is Cam Worrell is like a 19, 20-year-old kid. So uh, <laughs> you're, you're grown up. you got a life now, and uh, I'm happy for you, man. Yeah, appreciate it. I will, of course. I have a lot of gray hair now, so... You won't recognize me, but I'll snag you for sure, John. Appreciate yeah. it, man. It was, a, it right. was a blast to catch up. All right. Cameron Worrell, there he is, former Fresno State star in the NFL. Steven, what do you think about trying to cover Randy Moss now? Uh, yeah, that seems like it would be a very difficult uh, proposition, <laughs> right? But, but it's so true. What he said is, like, you can play so perfectly, but sometimes it doesn't matter, right? Like, these guys are just God-given great yep. athletes that will beat you no matter what you do. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I think Oregon State knows what it's up against. We'll have Jaden Grant on the show on Thursday. He is the Pac-12's Defensive Player of the Week. We'll get a uh, Oregon State outlook on that coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't know if you've ever had a uh, interaction like that where you suddenly feel very old. Cam Worrell, I knew him. He was 19 or 20. Now he's 42 now. What happened? Man, uh, I can't imagine uh, having to cover Randy Moss. But I also know, look, I think Oregon State is capable of going to Fresno State and winning. I think they are capable of finishing their non-conference 3-0. and And if they do that, I think they will crack the top 25. They'll be ranked. Uh, I think a road win at Fresno State would sort of affirm to the voters that what they saw in the opening week was not an aberration, that Oregon State was played a part in making Boise State look bad. Um, I, I find it very interesting that the voters gave a lot of credit to some of the winners over the weekend, but did not largely reward the Pac-12 winners the way that they did in other conferences. Do you guys feel like there's a bias that is inherent in the voters right now, an anti-Pac-12 bias? I think a little bit, you know, and it's because of what we saw this past weekend and, you know, what we what we saw last year. Like, the Pac-12 has not done great in non-conference. And I also think, you know, what I was trying to say with Oregon State earlier is that you kind of have to prove it. I know you disagreed on this point, but I think, you know, you kind of have to prove it that you're you're a program that is a top 25 program and now while Oregon State had a really good year last year you know they they still went seven and six with you know the loss against Utah State at the end there so yeah I I do think that this win against Fresno State would go a long way 
um, because we're not really sure what Boise State is. And, you know, I think uh, I, I can see Oregon State being a top 25 team. I think they will get there. I think I feel like it is justified, but I also I looked at every ballot. OK, and I I went through and looked at which writers, which regions of the country are not voting the Pac-12 teams at all uh, as high as maybe some other regions. Feels to me that there is a real bias in Big 12 country against the Pac-12 for some reason. Maybe it's all the hostility that has happened. Uh, but I also feel like, uh, you know, the east eastern part of the United States does not like the Pac-12 either. And maybe justifiably so because of the bad non-conference record a year ago. Again, Pac-12 went 9-3 and three in the opening week. But the three games against other Power 5 conferences, they laid an egg in two of them. And Utah... Can we just for a moment talk about Utah? Because if Cam Rising, at the end of the game, throws the ball away, throws it off the scoreboard, throws it into the stands, uh, Utah kicks field goal and they go into overtime, who knows what happens. I think Florida's really good. I think Anthony Richardson is dangerous. He looked great. Reminded me a little bit of Vince Young uh, at Texas. Uh, you know, Not quite as big as Cam Newton, but, man, you can see how Florida's going to use a- Anthony Richardson in the run game. Um, Utah wasn't ready for that. Their run defense wasn't ready for it, didn't play well at times, but they were inside the six-yard line twice, got no points, and ended up losing the game by three. You know, I'm I'm kind of looking at Kyle Whittingham and going, gosh, man, why did I trust that team? Guys, let's talk about Utah. Well, the thing is about Utah, and we talked about this with Randy Moss, like Anthony Richardson was just better than the Utah players because on that two-point conversion, he had that jump spin move, and then he got found the guy wide open at the back of the end zone. That made the game three, right? And you talk about going down, Cam Rising throws it away, they kick the field goal. If he doesn't make that unbelievable play, Utah goes down, kicks a game-winning field goal, they win. We don't even talk about the Pac-12 losing. So it's just one of those things. I didn't think Utah played bad, right? I just thought Florida was just as good, just as talented, and they had the best player on the field in Anthony Richardson. So I don't downgrade Utah at all. I thought they played really well, but... Florida, man, they just have the best player, and he proved it in that point of the game. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, it's a tough one for Utah. It's kind of a, a thankless game because I do think that Florida is truly a top 25 at least team, but they're going to play a gauntlet of an SEC schedule, and there's a chance that Florida, despite how good they are, despite how good their quarterback is, goes like 7-5 and five this year, and then suddenly that loss does not look good for Utah. So it was a uh, it was a tough one, I think, you know, for Utah to schedule and uh, also for them to, to lose that game. Can't blame them for losing, though, because I do think that Florida is going to be a really good team this year. They just have to play a really tough conference schedule. Yeah, I could see that loss also being a good loss by the end of the year. Let's just say it's an 8-win Florida team Richardson's a Heisman candidate and you know Florida hasn't embarrassed itself if Utah arrives at that point with one loss I think they're in the playoff conversation but it is a long road and nobody in the Pac-12 has gone undefeated in conference play since Oregon did it in 2010 here's one for you guys USC's next two opponents they have uh, Stanford this week then they have Fresno State then it's Oregon State in that order okay if Oregon State happens to beat Fresno State and then win the Montana State game. They're going to be 3 and 0. They would be hosting USC at 3 and 0. Is it possible if USC gets by Stanford, gets by Fresno State that the USC Oregon State game could be a 4:30 or 5 p.m. kickoff on ABC or ESPN? Is it possible that Oregon State would you know, get a big-time opportunity against USC 
in in what would be week four. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the other matchups are, but that could be a college game day place, right? I mean, Corvallis would be a fun place to be, uh, and USC would have the have the hype. Oregon State has been playing well, and they beat two good teams, right? Boise State and Fresno State are really good. I could see this happening, right? I mean, Oregon State is a one-point favorite. It's pretty much a pick against Fresno, but they obviously have enough talent, and they're playing well enough to win that game. I, I really hope that this happens, that USC, Oregon State, 3-0, and going against each other. Man, that that could be a really hyped game, and a game where Oregon State has always usually played well against USC in Corvallis. Okay, I'm looking at the Week 4 matchups right now. Wisconsin plays Ohio State. Right now, that's 19-3. versus three. Wake Forest, Clemson, top 25 matchup. Arkansas, Texas A&M, that's 16-6. versus six. So that seems to be the main yeah. competition if your scenario ends up playing out with Oregon State yeah. and USC. I, I also think USC, there's a, there's a, I think there's a very good chance that USC loses at least once in the next three games. It's, it's Stanford, it's Fresno State, it's Oregon State. I think there's a loss out there for Lincoln Riley. It's just, I have no evidence there. But, Stephen, you talked about this before. You like Stanford in the points this week, or is you want to wait? Yeah, I mean, I believe it's at like nine right now. I, if I had to bet it, I'm definitely betting Stanford. I hope. You know, some money comes in at USC, I can get that 10 points. But, yeah, I like Stanford. You know, we talked about this all season long. David Shaw, I believe in him as a good coach. They had a good outing against Colgate, and I thought that really matters. And USC, they had three pick sixes, which they aren't going to be able to rely on all season long. So, yeah, I, I like uh, Stanford plus the points, especially at home in that first conference game against Lincoln Riley uh, and the Trojans. I want you to leave it here. You get the bald face truth statewide. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.